The writer of Matthew's Gospel clearly has no idea what he, or possibly she, but most likely he, no idea what he's doing. You don't write a Gospel like this. You don't tell a story about the hero of your story that makes him look so bad. You can't imagine Donald Trump, or in fact any politician, allowing a story like this to go out. We're used to portrayals of Jesus as the sinless Son of God, the perfect human being. It's actually not the way Jesus spoke about himself at all, and there's not much of that in the Gospels, there's a little bit of it in the Gospel of John, which is quite a lot later than the other Gospels. But it's something we kind of developed a little bit later on. But here we've got a story where Jesus is being racist. Where he's not paying attention. We've made all kinds of attempts to make this story sound a little less problematic. There have been people who have suggested that when Jesus calls the woman a dog, that he means a little puppy. It's a real stretch. And it's nonsense. Oh, that he's actually testing the woman's faith. What kind of monster tests somebody's faith when they come to you saying their daughter is tormented by a demon? Look, the only real way of reading this text is Jesus is wrong. And the gospel writers seem to have no trouble in telling us this. Their job isn't to write a story that makes you think Jesus is the hero of the world. This is not a Marvel comic. This is facts and stories told about and by a real person. Jesus learns stuff. If you're perfect, you don't need to learn anything. But Jesus learns stuff quite a lot in the Gospels, very much in this story. And he learns it from a foreigner and a woman. Both really problematic if you're a good Jewish man. You see, this story is aligned, as Rosalie read to us, to the verses just coming before it. The question of how do you live a good and clean life? What's called the tradition of the elders in the Gospels is this whole collection of rituals and practices that if you perform them and you perform them correctly and regularly you can live clean you can live well but Jesus says it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person in other words it's not the rituals that you do or don't do it's what comes out of the mouth so it's not so much what you do, what you do comes out of who you are. Well, the Jewish leaders are not stupid. They know this. The whole point of the rituals is not to pretend. It's to give practical response to what you hope is your deeper inner experience. The rituals are an expression of the heart, we might say. But of course, rituals are much easier than heart stuff, aren't they? It's much easier to do something than it is to rethink who you are. 
And we have to be careful that we don't put this in some other box about some other group of people. We don't care so much about cleanliness and defilement in a moral sense. It's not the language we use. We talk more about living a fulfilled life, an authentic life, a life of wholeness. That's the kind of language we use. But it's still the deep human longing to live well, not just to exist. Free of rubbish, free of heartache, free of disappointment, to be really clean. So we get it. We just do it and talk about it differently. And we have rituals too that sometimes overtake the reality they're trying to speak to. We think a holiday is some time that we can clean out the rubbish and start afresh. And when we're on holiday, we make all kinds of promises to ourselves. I'm going to eat this well when I'm at home. I'm going to walk this much when I get back. But sometimes the ritual substitutes for the real thing. Marie Kondo, with her television show and series of books on cleaning out all the rubbish of your house to get clean. We've got all kinds of rituals that are not that much different. I reckon if you saw, showed a first century Jew, Marie Kondo on the television, they'd get it immediately. So this is twinned with the story that happens to Jesus. It's a horrible example of how the ritual can overtake the reality of the heart or the experience. Jesus is in a foreign place, and for Jews that means it's, it's an unclean place. He really shouldn't be there, and if he is there, he should do the proper rituals when he leaves there. And he speaks to a foreign person. It's not the right thing. And the foreign person is a woman. And women are not supposed to speak to Jewish men. It just doesn't work that way. So here is an ideal opportunity for Jesus to enact what he did on the feeding of the 5,000, just a couple of verses before. In the 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000, everyone is welcome. It's in the open air. Come on, everybody can come. There's so much food that there's 12 baskets left over. There's enough for everybody and everybody and everybody. And here's someone who desperately needs that free gift. The abundance of what Matthew constantly calls the kingdom of heaven. She comes to Jesus and she says, Have mercy on me, Lord. Son of David, my daughter is tormented by a demon. Here is a wonderful opportunity to do all of that. And what does Jesus do? Nothing. At least to start with, he doesn't even answer. It says he did not answer her at all. Her daughter is tormented. Why is she? Why is she being treated this way? Well, because she's a foreigner. Because she's a woman. Because the rituals demand it. And then it goes worse than that. He not only ignores it, he then goes to the, you know, the usual bureaucratic approach. I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You're not, so you're not. We're good at that. We do offshore detention for refugee and asylum seekers because, well, that's the bureaucracy. We just push it away. It's nothing to do with us. I'd like to help, but that's the rules. 
Then he resorts to categorizing her and he calls her a dog. It's a term that Jews used for Gentiles, for people who were not Jewish. But this woman had actually listened to Jesus because he talked about the kingdom of God being available to the meek because they were going to inherit the earth, right? Isn't that what you said? You said it's all about eating with sinners and tax collectors, right? Isn't that what you said? That the kingdom of heaven is an experience of healing, abundance and wholeness for everyone. Isn't that what you said? And if that's true, Lord, help me. The bringer of good news in this story, and there is good news in it, because as we heard at the very end of the story, the tormented young woman is healed. The bringer of the good news in this story is not Jesus at all. It's a foreign woman. That's got to upset anybody who thinks they know how these things are supposed to work. It's got to upset anybody who thinks that there's a system that has to be followed. Jesus, you see, is not the good news. Jesus is the bringer of the good news. He keeps saying that over and over again. He calls himself the human one or the son of man. His job isn't to point to himself, but it's to point to this is the way the world is supposed to be. This is the way the world can be. This is the way the world will be for this woman and her daughter. If somebody brings you a drink and you're thirsty, we often say, oh, you're a lifesaver. But of course, the life-saving is the drink that you drink. Without it, you can't just have it. You've got to drink it. Maybe when Jesus talks about following him, it doesn't mean following Like you follow your... You know, before the GPS, if you wanted to go somewhere and somebody said, well, follow me, you had to stick right to them, didn't you? And to keep them in view and hope they didn't drive too fast or get stopped. They get through a traffic light and you get stopped. You have to follow right away along. What if Jesus isn't talking about following in that way? But maybe it's more about do what I do. Follow in that way. Experience what I experience. Made me think when I was thinking about this, if you've ever been with somebody or you unfortunately have been the person to have an anxiety attack, one of the things that happens is you can't breathe. Your breathing is very shallow, which creates its own set of problems. And one of the best things to do when somebody's having an anxiety attack is to breathe with them. Okay, let's slow down. Let's take, just try and breathe like I'm breathing. Deep breath, in, out, in, out. And if you do that, it doesn't take very long, hopefully, before the person who's suffering, or if you're suffering, you may have experienced this. You feel it. You go into the same rhythm. That's the kind of following that Jesus is about. Because Jesus himself has to learn that. He understands how the rituals are supposed to work. But he understands deeper, as he says in the first verses, it's not about what you do, it's about what comes out of who you are. 
But even he is stuck in the old patterns. Well, she's a foreigner. She's a woman. She's a Gentile. Nothing to do with me. But of course, he's a human being and she's a human being. It always has to do with him and her and you and me. It's always the good news of our humanness, of who we really are meant to be, whole and fully alive, that Jesus experiences in that moment when he sees and receives good news. And everyone gets it. He gets it. The woman gets it. And best of all, the little girl gets it. Because a life of torment becomes a life of wholeness, the life we all want.